So if you have your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 3. Last week we began this series in wisdom, experiencing daily wisdom that leads us to the very best kind of life. We, be, we looked last week at Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7 specifically. Verse 7 uh, very uh, directly tells us about wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or of wisdom. Uh, we see that again in Proverbs chapter 9 and again in Proverbs chapter 15 and again in Proverbs chapter 31, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 15 calls it a tree of life. The fear of the Lord is a tree of life. And tree of life is a pretty big deal in, in word pictures in Scripture. You know, tree of life, it's the tree that gives life. Fear of the Lord is a pretty big deal. Um, fear of the Lord means that we adjust our life to fit what God has designed and what God desires. It means that we submit our emotions, our, our, our feelings, our ambitions to God's desire and God's design. Fear of the Lord means that God calls the shots. I don't. Fear of the Lord means that I give all that I am to what God desires. That's the fear of the Lord. So when we talk about wisdom, it, the beginning part of wisdom is living in the fear of the Lord, adjusting who I am, adjusting my thoughts, my intents, my desires, my ambitions, my emotions, my relationships, my finances, everything. I adjust that to fit what God desires and designed. All right. God's desire is made known through his word. His design is made known through his word, but also through creation. And God's design has been clearly manifested through creation and through his word. And we see that in Psalm 19 as well as Psalm 119. So as we look at God's desire and design, uh, wisdom that we're essentially holding on to is this idea that as we submit ourselves to God's desire and design, wisdom is when I walk in the way that God wants me to walk. And that's wisdom. Biblical wisdom is living life God's way. That's wisdom. So it's more, it's bigger than knowing how to make chocolate chip cookies. Now, making chocolate chip cookies is a skill set. And it's a skill set that I think is spectacular. It's marvelous. It's wonderful. I love uh, those around me who love me enough to have this wonderful skill set in making chocolate chip cookies. And, and, and they're marvelous. And, and I love that wisdom. And that's wisdom of a, of a sort. It's how to make chocolate chip cookies. So wisdom uh, is how to make chocolate chip cookies. Deeper wisdom is knowing whether you ought to eat chocolate chip cookies. That's a deeper wisdom. Uh, and even deeper wisdom is figuring out how to eat chocolate chip cookies and not gain weight. That's an even deeper wisdom. Uh, so when we look at wisdom, look, biblical wisdom, it's more than just an instruction manual on how to do certain skills. It, it, it sees a problem, but it also solves a problem because it's finding solution that God provides rather than what I provide. If you're looking for me to solve anything in your life, you're going to be sorely disappointed when I give you my advice because I am not that wise. And even the wisest person in the world can't give you the advice that you need to navigate 
the twists and turns and the ups and downs that your life will face. But God can. See, the wisdom we're talking about is, is really the way to live that comes from the mind and the heart of God himself. The guy who made all this, created all this, who knows all this. Do you, <clears throat> talk about this last week, but do you realize that God knows you inside and out? There's not one part of who you are that God doesn't know everything about. That God understands your emotions, he understands your dysfunctions. God knows my dysfunctions. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, he, he understands how dysfunctional I am, even when I don't understand how dysfunctional I am. God does. So God knows every part and every parcel of me. And more than that, he cares enough uh, about me and my own dysfunctions and weirdness and skills and abilities and incompetencies and competencies. He understands all there is to know about me, and he cares enough about me not to leave me the way I am, but to help me with all that baggage of mess from point A to point B, point A being where I am, point B where he will lead me to the best kind of life. Now, as we look at Proverbs 3, what we see is part of that journey from point A to point B, uh, navigating the difficulties or the, the challenges or the twists and the turns or the ups and the downs uh, or the victories as well as the defeats, navigating relationally and emotionally and spiritually and physically from here to the best kind of life. All right, so that's, that's what Proverbs 3 does. It tells us the way that wisdom works in our everyday life. But let me just go ahead and say this because I, I think it's important. Anytime we talk about Proverbs, it's easy to read Proverbs and not think about uh, a deeper issue. See, all of us have deeper issues than just how to change a tire on a car or how to, how to, how to make chocolate chip cookies. Um, we all, each one of us, share a common problem, and that common problem is our sin, and our sin has separated us from God. Remember last week, if you weren't here, last week, in Proverbs 1, 1 through 7, it tells, we learned that the big idea of that section is that our relationship with God determines our wisdom. And, and, and I want you to hear this, and I want you to hear it very clearly. You do not have wisdom until you have a relationship with God. You might have some skills. I think I even did a Napoleon Dynamite reference last week. Maybe not in this hour. I, I do this three hours a week, so sometimes I do something in one hour that I don't do. But you may have skills like nunchucking skills and bass fishing skills. or No? Okay. All right. Napoleon Dynamite, watch it. Or no, it doesn't matter. Anyway, uh, it, when, we, when, we, when we look at our life, wisdom is not the skill set that we have. Uh, the, the way of wisdom begins in a relationship with God, and if we don't have a relationship with God, there's no way that we can experience the best kind of life. There's no way that we can walk in the fear of the Lord until we have a relationship with God. Uh, friends, that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to provide you and me deliverance from the sin of our life. And, and by the way, all of us are sinners, right? Every person here is a sinner. If you're a sinner, raise your hand. If you're a sinner, raise your hand. If you're a sinner, raise your hand. Everybody raise your hand. 
Okay, so we're all sinners, and that sin has disastrous effect. It separates us from God. And no amount of good living or good morality or trying to make up for the bad stuff, doing good stuff to make up for the bad, no amount of that can get us fit for God's family. That's why Jesus came, to cover us in his righteousness. Jesus came. Jesus, who is God, became flesh and bone. He lived this life perfectly, sinlessly, without blemish or fault. He, he was perfect in the sight of God. Jesus, who is God, became flesh and bone, lived sinlessly so that he might be the perfect payment price for our sin. Jesus went to a cross, and he died to pay for your sin and mine. Now, here's the good news. The good news is that God, in his love, sent Jesus to the rescue of sinners like you and me. And when we, by faith, quickened in our spirit by the very work of God's grace, when, when we, by faith, see our need for Jesus, and we see the bankruptcy of our soul and, and our sin, and we realize that there's nothing I can do. I can't be religious enough to get there. I can't, I can't make myself fit for God's family. When we come to that place of despairing in our soul because of our sin, then God in his grace tunes our heart and focuses our eyes on Jesus. His death on the cross as payment for my sin. He died for me. When we sing about victory in Jesus, that's what we're talking about. When we sing about death being arrested and my life began, it's where my eyes, by God's grace, my, my eyes were focused on Jesus and the cross and his death as payment for my sin, his resurrection from the dead as, as an offering of new life to me, a sinner unworthy of it. And so by faith, I turn from myself and I turn from the way of life that I've been pursuing and I trust in Jesus and I say, Jesus is my only hope. And I give my life to him and I find new life from him. Everything's changed. I'm a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And all these things are from God who's given me this wonderful good news of rescue and reconciliation. Now, friends, you want to have the best kind of life. It begins right there. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. That abundantly kind of life that Jesus offers is, is, is the kind of life that we're talking about today. As followers of Jesus, until, um, uh, uh, until we become followers of Jesus, we have no shot at walking the way of wisdom because our relationship with God determines our wisdom. And only through Jesus can we have a relationship with God. Okay, Until we come by faith uh, and repentance, um, to the cross of Christ and the empty tomb uh, until we experience new life. And, and by the way, can, and I, I don't have time to do this, but I really need to. Can I tell you, it's not an intellectual journey primarily. I mean, it, it, it includes my mind. But this new life that I have, is, it's a work of God's grace that changes me on the inside out, from the inside out. It, it changes who I am. It's the work of the Spirit of God. It's, it's being born again. And I know that's an old phrase. It's an ancient phrase that you find in John chapter 3. But being born again, it's, it's I am made brand new. And when I'm made brand new, 
I know it. I was dead, but now I'm alive, right? And so if you're here today and you're not sure that you've had that transformation, that work of God's grace in your life, please come talk to me. Uh, talk, to, talk to one of our, our, our pastors, one of our ministers. Talk, talk to one of our, our deacons. Talk to your life group leader or a life group leader. Uh, grab somebody around you and say, I don't understand this. Can you help me? We want to help you experience the new life that God has. All right, so once you enter into that relationship with God through faith in Christ, then you begin to walk the way of wisdom. So what we're looking at, in Pro- and that's all introduction, what we're looking at Proverbs chapter 3 is the path that we should walk as followers of Jesus to experience the blessings that God provides. Now, I want you to read it with me, Proverbs chapter 3. And we're going to look at the verse uh, 10 verses, and then verse 11 and 12 kind of uh, uh, is a little bit different, but we'll look at that too. All right, so, so Proverbs chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. My son or daughter, do not forget my law. Law there is Torah. Uh, it is the Ten Commandments. It is the explanation of the Ten Commandments. It's what we find in God's Word. It, it, Torah, I would contend, is uh, Jesus teaching his Sermon on the Mount. And he said, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I compare him to a wise person who built his house on the rock. But whoever hears these sayings of mine and doesn't do them, I compare him to a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The teachings of Jesus include, uh, that, that's Torah, okay? So it's the instruction of God for the details of our life. Do you realize that God gives us de- detailed instructions about how to live? Okay, so, and, and, and they're applied uh, by the Spirit of God. By the way, if you want a summary statement about the Torah, Jesus said it this way. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And second like unto it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He said, the whole of the law and prophets is summarized in these. Love God with all you are. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so that, that's the summary of the Torah. So, so God says, okay, so don't forget my law uh, and let your heart keep my commands for length of days and long life and peace. Peace is the key word there. Peace is shalom. And peace is more than uh, the absence of conflict. Peace means the wholeness of life. You want to have a good marriage. You need some shalom. Uh, You want to have a, a good family atmosphere with your children. You need some shalom. You want to have a good work environment. Guess what? You need some shalom. You want a good neighborhood experience. You need some shalom. You want to have a good experience at church, you need some shalom. Shalom isn't the absence of conflict. Shalom is the fullness of life. It's life without any missing pieces. It's a life satisfied. Shalom is what Jesus came to give us. Okay? All right. So, um, uh, length of days, long life, peace, they'll add to you. Verse 3. Oh, by the way, verse 1 is the command. Verse 2 is the promise. Verse 3 is the command. Verse 4 is the promise. Verse 5 is the command. Verse 6 is the promise. Verse 7 is the command. Verse 8 is the promise. Verse 9 is the command. Verse 10 is the promise. Now, what do I mean by that? The, the odd number verses, 1, 3, 5, 7, 9, 
That's our responsibility. That's what we're supposed to be doing. As followers of Jesus, we want to walk the way of wisdom. Here's what we're supposed to do. One, three, five, seven, nine, and 11. That's your responsibility. That's my responsibility. The even number verses, two, four, six, eight, and 10, that's God's responsibility. That's what God promises. This is what God promises to you and to me as we do the responsibility that God's given us. So, and I love the simplicity here, and I'm, I know I'm skipping it here, but, but I love the sim- simplicity. My mama always said, you brush your teeth, you won't get a cavity. But if you brush your teeth, if you don't brush your teeth, guess what you're going to get? A cavity. And then she would amend it because I would brush my teeth, but I wouldn't necessarily do it that well. So, and then I'd have a cavity. And she said, well, you have to brush your teeth the way the dentist says to brush your teeth, and then you won't get a cavity. And you need to brush your teeth three times a day or whatever, whatever. I don't know. I don't pay attention to that anymore. But that's what my mama used to say. Brush your teeth, you won't get a cavity. It, when I was uh, exercising, if you exercise, you will be stronger. Okay? You will be stronger. If you exercise, you will be stronger. That's generally true, isn't it? I mean, you, you, you do it. Say you've never done a push-up before, and you take the next year, and you do 10 push-ups every day for the next year. You will be stronger than you were when you had never done a push-up before. It's, it's simple. All right? So exercise. If you exercise, you will be stronger. It's a generally true statement. I love the simplicity of it. If, uh, uh, it, 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 it. if you drink water, you won't get dehydrated on a hot day. That's generally true. That's a simple statement. Now, I love the simplicity of this. I love the simplicity of the Proverbs here, okay? So, so what it says is, if you obey my law and keep my commands, you will have long life, good days, you'll have shalom. If you do A, you'll get B. You like that? I mean, I like that. Do you realize that's how God wants to show us, as followers of Jesus, how to walk the way of wisdom? All right, I don't know where I'll stop, but let's go ahead. All right, so verse 3, let not mercy and truth forsake you. So mercy there is hesed. I just like, everybody looks up when I say that word, hesed. Hesed, it's uh, the covenant love of God, but it's also steadfast, unfailing never-ending love that we are to have for God and for others. So when we have this kind of love that is sacrificial, self-giving, now that's the kind of love painted here. It's the kind of love that God had for you and for me to send Jesus to die on a cross for our sin. That's, that's the covenant love. It's the kind of love that God has for us to be a good shepherd to us even in dark valleys. It's the kind of love that God has for us to, uh, to, to bring help to us in our need. That, that's the kind of love that God has, but it's also the kind of love that we're to have for God and for others. And so let not steadfast love and truth. Truth there is amet, and it means faithfulness. So, so faithful love is probably a good uh, rendition. Don't let your faithful love forsake you, but bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. So that's our responsibility, verse 4. And find favor in, and high esteem in the sight of God and man. That's the, that's the blessing. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. That's the command. Then the second part of verse 6, and he will make straight your path. Verse 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. That's the command. Verse 8, and it will be health to your flesh. The term there for flesh 
is a Hebrew term sore, and it means umbilical cord. I probably won't talk about it again, but I just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, it will be health to your flesh and strength or vitality refreshing to your bones. Verse 9, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your profit. So your barns will be filled with plenty. Your vats will burst at the seams with new wine. Verse 11, my son, don't despise the chastening of the Lord nor detest his correction. And then verse 12, instead of the promise, it's the explanation of why we shouldn't detest the correction of the Lord. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son or daughter in whom he delights. All right, so let's kind of break this apart. Here's the big idea about the way of wisdom. What God is trying to show us is that when, when wisdom shapes our lives, then we will experience God's blessing, okay? So, and I want you to hear that. Now, I've, I've done a lot of explaining up to this point. I don't want you to think that God is a vending machine, that you can just do certain things, put in your quarters, and get your stuff out. God doesn't operate like that, okay? He is God. He's not Santa Claus, Okay? But there is generally a way that God operates for us. And if he doesn't operate in the way that he describes, it's because of a sovereign purpose that he has. Think Job. Okay? So Job is, is the exception that proves the rule. I, I don't preach about Job. I don't even like to think about Job. I'm scared. Right? Okay? At, at, I am. I just don't like it. But the, the explanation for why Job had to go through what he went through is verse 12. Chapter 3, verse 12. That, that is the explanation of why Job had to go through what he went through. That the Lord chastens whom he loves, and he corrects whom he loves. The, the detour of destruction that Job had to go through was really a picture of God's love for Job. Now, that seems like a cop-out, and it seems like a cheat, and it doesn't satisfy my intellectual pursuit, but that's really what God's Word says, so I've got to embrace it and, and with all the confusion there is. So, so as we look at this passage, I don't want you to think that God is someone that is manipulated by certain things that we do, but these are the guidelines that God has set up. This is the way of wisdom. So what is, what is it about wisdom? Now, wisdom is walking or living life God's way. So it's me living in submission to God, me living in, for God's honor and fame. That, that's, that's the way of wisdom. And when wisdom, living life God's way, shapes my conduct, my decisions, my relationships, my emotions, my money, when it shapes who I am, then I will experience God's blessing. That is the promise of this passage. So what are the five things that we're going to look at? Well, the first one is a, an obedient heart leads to a satisfied life. All right, I want you to get that. This verse is one and two. My son, don't forsake, don't forget, don't leave my instruction or my commands. Now, the picture there is God has given us the instructions that we need as followers of Jesus to obey him. Uh, when I was a kid, my, I, my dad would say, Eric, I want you to do A, B, or C, and I would, I would say, okay. And he would come back an hour later, and I hadn't done anything, and he would say this phrase. This is a phrase he would I didn't tell you that just so I could hear myself talk. <laughs> Can I tell you, God didn't give us his instructions just so he could hear himself talk. He gave us his instructions because those instructions uh, bring honor to his name, 
are a reflection of his character and because they lead to blessing in our life. When God gives us instruction, by by the way, his instruction is Scripture and the application of Scripture to our everyday life by his Holy Spirit. It's Jesus saying, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will compare him to a wise man who built his house on the sand, uh, on the rock. We want a life that's built on a rock. In order to get there, we must be obedient to the instruction and the commands that God gives. So here's the question. Are you obedient to God's commands? And by the way, don't cheat. See, what, here's what we do, or this, this is what I do. I will be obedient in 10 of his commands, but the 11th one, I'll neglect. And I will say, no, I'm cool. I did 10 out of 11. Okay, it doesn't work like that. As followers of Jesus, we need to be obedient in 11 out of 11. And when we're not obedient in the 11th, we need to acknowledge it as being disobedient and allow the, God, the Spirit of God to correct us and lead us to obedience in number 11. It's this ongoing journey that I have, and I don't know if you have it too, but it's an ongoing journey uh, where I live, I've got, all right, I'm obedient, 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 disobedient, obedient, obedient, obedient. And, and all those obediences are great, but I've got to deal with that disobedient. I've got to deal with that junk in my life. I've got to immediately confess it as sin, repent of it, turn from it, and get it right. Why? Because getting off the course is not an option, not one that I like. I want to experience the full measure of God's blessing in my life. I want to have a satisfied life. Now, here's, here's what a satisfied life looks like. A satisfied life is not me getting my way the way I want it. Many of us have pursued life, and we said, this is my dream. If I just get that dream, I'm going to be satisfied. And you might even get that dream, and you turn around and say, well, why am I not, dissat- why am I not satisfied? Because you were chasing your dream. We weren't built to chase our dream. We were built to chase God's honor, his fame, his glory. That's how you and I were made. We are satisfied, not when we do things our way or get things our way. That's why so many marriages are so messed up, is that we have in that marriage, a husband and a wife think that the most important thing in marriage is me getting my way. And they haven't realized that the most important thing is God having his way. We're satisfied not when we get our way. We're satisfied when we do life God's way. When we do our marriages God's way, when we submit our emotions to what God's word has to say about them. See, everything changes when wisdom shapes our lives. When we have a heart that is obedient to God, then we will have a life that is satisfied. Shalom. Shalom. Full and complete. We need an obedient heart. Uh, that will lead to a satisfied life. The uh, Verses uh, uh, 3 and 4 tell us that we need faithful love that delivers favor with God. In others, we need a faithful love. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but can I tell you that steadfast love and faithfulness or truth are two characteristics of God himself. In Exodus 34, this is the characteristic of God. It's also the characteristics of Jesus himself. He had love and he had truth or faithfulness. 
As followers of Jesus, this is how we're supposed to live. Do you realize that Jesus puts a greater importance or priority, at least talks about it, how you love others than whether or not you teach good doctrine? Now, I'm all about good doctrine. I want you to know that. I'm I'm a huge uh, correct doctrine person. I'm huge. I I overthink everything I say 27 different ways because I want to make sure that I'm not in error, you know. Um, But Jesus didn't say, you're going to let people know that you're my follower because you have correct doctrine. It may be implicit there, but it's, it, it may be implied, but it's not stated outright. Do you know what he said? He said, the way you show people that you're my follower is by your love. Guys, I, again, I'm not demeaning doctrine. It's important. It's essential. What I'm doing is I'm elevating love. We need to elevate love, not at the expense of good doctrine, but as an outflow of who we are in Christ. People need to know you love them, that you love them faithfully. And when we love others faithfully, the way Jesus has loved us, the way Jesus loved the Father, when we love God faithfully, the way Jesus loved the Father, when we love others faithfully, the way Jesus loved them, how did Jesus love them? By the way, he died, right? So there's sacrifice involved. When we love others the way Jesus loved us, when we love God the way he loved God, then it sets us apart. When we write that love and, and faithfulness, let it soak into our soul, become part of our DNA, our core personality then we go to work and we're no longer the jerk that we were before. We're in our homes and, and, and God tames our tongue to speak more lovingly and kind. Why? Because we have written on our heart steadfast love and faithfulness, truth. Guys, listen. Don't diminish Love and faithfulness. And the result is when we demonstrate as core personality of who we are, love for God and love for others, faithful love, then we find favor with God and with others. We we bring pleasure to the heart of God. And people say, Well, Eric, he's weird, but he's not that bad because, you know, he's kind of a he's kind. He's compassionate. He's forgiving. Faithful love delivers favor with God and others. Obedient heart leads to a satisfied life. The third ingredient here is trusting God in everything builds a straight path. Verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. All right, let me just kind of lay this out. Trusting God with all your heart means you trust God with everything. It means that instead of me being in control, God is in control. It means that I'm not entrusting my children to my care. I'm trusting my children to God's care. It means that I'm not trying to figure out how to make sure that I get things done the way I think things ought to be done, but rather it means God... I want to do things the way you say it needs to be done. I want to do my marriage the way you say it ought to be done. I want to do my parenting the way. How many of you as parents, y'all, y'all, our youngest is now uh, 19, our oldest is 25, um, and, and, uh, but when we started out, uh, I mean, we were dumb as mud. 
right? I, I, I mean, I was. Edie wasn't. Edie wasn't. Edie had, had she was brilliant. If she, if she weren't part of that equation, we, our children would be just way off the radar. Um, but, but, I mean, how many of you as parents just thought, I don't know how to do this? I don't, I mean, how many of y'all read Dr. Spock or uh, 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 Raising Kids God's Way? Wasn't that a book? Wasn't that a book? Okay. You know, I mean, you read all these books, at Dobson and, and, and uh, I mean, you pick anything up. You just give me, any, I don't care if it's spiritual. I don't care if it's Jesus. Just give me some advice, right? I mean, and that was parenting. And that was in a fog. You were confused and you wanted to have the right answers, I get that. I understand that. But here's the thing. When we start looking for the right answers in ourselves, we're going to come up short. But if we look for the right answers with God, trusting him, then even if we only get the next step direction, it will be the right direction. You see, what God promises when we trust him, he's going to give us a straight path even in crooked days. In crooked times, in difficult, in, when the fog settles, I don't mind so much the fog settling around me as long as I know what my next step is in the right direction. And that's what God does when we entrust him. Do you know what it means to acknowledge him? In all your ways, acknowledge him. It means that in every part of your path today, tomorrow, the next day, every relationship, every circumstance, in every part of your path, you Confess, Jesus is with me. Jesus is leading me. Jesus is king over me in every aspect. Jesus, my Savior, is walking with me, carrying me, dragging me, whatever needs to be to get me from here to the place of delight. Trusting God in everything builds a straight path. That's five and six. Seven and eight tells us that, uh, uh, seven and eight, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh, strength to your bones, a humble heart. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Hey, you think you got the answers. You're wrong. I'm just telling you, you're wrong. Oh, but you don't know how smart I am. Doesn't matter. You're wrong. You don't have the right answer. You think you do, but you don't. The right answer comes from the Lord. A humble heart says, don't be wise in your own eyes. Then it adds this, fear the Lord. A humble heart fears the Lord. That means I submit myself to what God says. I think I've got the right answer, so I'm going to follow my path. But God intervenes and says, no, you don't have the right answer. You don't even know what the right question is. I do. I'm telling you, this is the way you ought to live. And so a humble heart says, okay, I submit myself to what you say, Lord. And it departs from evil. So a humble heart is not wise in its own eyes. It, it fears the Lord, and it departs from evil. I, do you have sin in your life? We've already acknowledged that we're all sinners, so it's a short leap to say, yes, today I've got sin in my life, and it's this or that or the other thing, and you can acknowledge it. If you can acknowledge that sin, then you can depart from that sin. Come on. Again, we got to deal with our junk. we got sin in our life. We need to repent. We need to confess it, repent it, and get away from it. Are you ready to experience health and vitality? That's the second part. If you want to experience a life that is soaking in refreshment, 
in, in, in a vivacity, a, vi, a vivaciousness. If you want to have that kind of life, not just an emotional uplift, but a, a really spiritual and physical well-being to who you are, then you must have a humble heart. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Get rid of your sin. Maybe, maybe part of the challenge for us is actually acknowledging that we've got sin and, and identifying it specifically. But once we start down that road, guys, it makes it a lot easier to depart from it. If we, if we want to have a, a life that is marked by health and vitality, we need to have a humble heart. And then the last, last thing, if you want to have financial contentment, you've got to honor God with your stuff. And again, straight up scripture, okay? And you're not going to make it mean something different than what it says, okay? So here's what it says. It says, uh, honor the Lord, verse 9, honor the Lord with your possessions, with the first fruits of your profit, and your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, this does not mean that you get a Cadillac or a house on a hill. What it does mean is that you will be satisfied with what you got. You will be contented. The key is honoring the Lord with your stuff. Again, I'm not putting any kind of percentages or any of that stuff. You know what I'm saying? I'm not telling you you've got to give this much pre-tax, post-tax, in-tax, out-tax. I'm not telling you any of that stuff. I'm going to allow the Spirit of God to work in your heart, and here's the question. Am I honoring the Lord with my stuff? That's the question. And if I do honor the Lord with my stuff, the result will be financial contentment. The opposite is also true. Can I just go ahead and say, and Edie and I have experienced this in our own journey as well. You make a lot of money or you make good money or you make sufficient money and you never seem to have enough and you're always trying to make ends meet and you never seem to have enough. Could it be that the reason you never seem to have enough, even though you go to your spreadsheet and it should equal out at the end at the very least, uh, maybe one of the reasons why it seems like you never have enough, it seems like you have an empty hole in your bank account, maybe it's because you haven't started with this idea, I need to honor the Lord with my possessions and the first fruits of my profit. Maybe you need to begin there. Might I humbly suggest that 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 is where we need to start? And don't, you know, you can can say, well, you're being legalistic. Actually, I'm not. I mean, this is not legalism. I've sat under legalistic teaching about that, and I can do it, but that's not what I'm doing. I'm telling you, this is what God promises for us to experience financial contentment. You're not going to be financially content until you commit to honor the Lord with your stuff. It's not going to happen. Does that make sense? And, so, and, and again, you might not believe it, but it's what the instruction says. So verses 11 and 12, what is the application there? Really, the application of verse 11 and 12 is for us right here. Don't despise the correction of the Lord. So you hear these, uh, uh, I need an obedient heart to experience a satisfied life. I need faithful love to experience favor with God and others. I need to trust God uh, in in order to have a straight path, even in crooked times. I need a humble heart in order to have health and vitality. I need to honor God with my stuff so I can have financial uh, contentment. The gifts that God, the blessings God provides are contingent on me doing my part. And so the question is, are you doing your part? 
God's going to do his part. Are you doing your part? And if not, today the Spirit of God is going to correct. And he's already done that work. He's already begun that work of correction. So don't despise the correction. Don't stiff arm God in his correcting work, but rather open your arms to the love that God is showing today and get back on course. Walk the way of wisdom. When I was a kid, I would go um, fishing with my dad, and I still go fishing with my dad, but go to the Smoky Mountains. We'd go walking. I love going trout fishing in the mountains because trout live in beautiful places. And so I get on a trail, and my dad and I would walk the trail, and, and, and we would get to the destination where trout are jumping out of the water, and the, the, the trees are made with uh, lollipops and, and, you know, all that stuff. And, and it seemed like that at the time. Uh, and as long as you stayed on the trail, you would get to that destination that would bless your soul. But if you got off the trail, See, this is the deep woods of the, uh, of the Smoky Mountain National Park. And you get off trail, it can be disastrous. It can be death-dealing. And Dad would always say, look for the trail, watch the trail, stay on the trail, don't get off the trail. Why? Because he knew that the, the, the result of getting off the path could be disastrous. Today, I want to encourage you, stay on the trail. As a follower of Jesus, walk the way of wisdom. Because getting off course can be disastrous. As God, by his spirit, pinpoints the questions in your own life, will you take the time and let the spirit of God work so that you have an obedient heart, so that you have, a, have a, a, a faithful love, so that you have a humble heart, so that you and I and us together have a heart that is seeking God's honor in all things. so that we might trust the Lord with all our heart and lean not in our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge him, then he will direct, make straight our paths. I invite you to bow your heads with me, please. As we close today, and we're just going to close, we're not going to sing a song or anything, but I do want to close with an invitation. Um, for those who are here, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, or you're uncertain about whether or not you're a follower of Jesus, I beg you before this day ends, even, even following this moment, uh, I invite you to come to the guest reception, which is out the doors in the back and, and, and in the Live the Mission Center. I'll be in that room. You come in there and say, I'm just not sure if I have a relationship with God. I want to help you with that. Um, Today, would you talk to someone, maybe it's your husband or your wife or your friend or, your, or, or, or someone in your life group, would you talk to someone about where you sense God is correcting you when it comes to walking the way of wisdom? And you can keep it as, as, as surface as you need. Maybe you need to go a little deeper. Or will you talk with someone and say, I, look, and I don't have a humble heart. 
I've tried to be wise in my own eyes, and I haven't feared the Lord, and I'm not departing from evil. So maybe, maybe today, in that conversation with someone, God would just set you back on that course correction, back on the way of wisdom. For everybody here, we all struggle with sin, right? So all of us have some work to do. All of us have some junk to turn from. Maybe that's what needs to happen over the next day or two or every day for me. Will you just take the time and ask the question, God, am I honoring you with my possessions? Am I trusting you in everything? Am I obeying your instruction? God, am I showing love and truth? Father, as we close today, I pray that you would speak to the hearts of those who have gathered and give us the courage to receive the correction that you provide because we know it is from love that you correct and discipline us. Help us get back on course where we are wayward from it and give us a clear view of how to walk in wisdom today in every aspect of our life. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.